You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We try to use this as a day for everybody to be able to interact a little bit more than maybe they normally would get to on a Sunday. Um, And so we take that time to eat together during the first part of our service. And then um, rather than teaching a new sermon or a new lesson, we refer back to what we've learned over the past six or seven weeks. And we recap some of those application points, kind of refresh our minds about some of the things that we've learned together. Um, And we do that so that we can faithfully uh, not just hear the word, but do the word. Um, And so instead of just plowing forward every week, one after another, um, we try to pause and step back and look back over some of the things that we've learned together. And then we always participate uh, in the Lord's Supper on these days as well um, as a point of remembrance. Um, So not just remembering the things that we've been learning, but we remember what Christ has done for us. And we ultimately uh, remind ourselves of the fact that Christ is coming back. And so we partake of the Lord's Supper as Scripture instructs us to do until Jesus returns. And so that's the significance of today. Um, And so we're glad that you're here to participate and be a part of that. One other thing I wanted to do today, um, we've done this at various times, is just acknowledge people that serve faithfully um, in our church. And today I wanted to acknowledge Anna, who is back there serving right now. Um, Anna does a lot of stuff on Sundays that we never ask her to do. Um, She's just always faithful to help set things up, to clean up after we do things like this. You'll regularly see her emptying trash so that we doesn't sit there all week until um, the person who cleans our church comes and does that. Um, She's always here to help uh, get the coffee started in the morning as well. And so, um, again, she does a lot of things that we don't ask her to do. She just steps up and does that. Um, It's not uncommon to see her in the back during the service texting people that aren't here to see where they're at, um, to see if there's anything going on that we need to be aware of so we can pray for them. And so uh, just uh, an individual who shows such a, a great amount of care for us, for our building, for our service, and does a lot to make sure that things run smoothly. And so I wanted to acknowledge her. I've got a card for you, Anna. Yeah. So there you go. Thank you for all you do. <laughs> yeah, if you'll just finish cleaning up back there, that would be uh, awesome. <laughs> Before we get into recapping our uh, sermons from the past couple of weeks, I wanted to let's see if I can get this to work. I had the chance to post uh, the article that um, Desiring God posted regarding this story. I don't know if anybody had the chance to read the article. I don't know how many took the chance to watch the video, but I did want to show it this morning just because I think it ties in a lot with what we've been talking about with Abraham. Um, Abraham, several weeks ago, we talked about the test that God gave him to give up his son, to be willing to sacrifice his son. We talked extensively about If there's anything in our life that if God took it from us, it would cause us to love him less than that object, that thing, that person, that individual, whoever, whatever it is, has taken an inappropriate place in our life. If God could take it from us and we would love him less because of it, then that thing has become a problem. Um, The individual on the screen, his name is Monty Williams. He's an NBA basketball coach. He was the head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. He got fired after going to the playoffs, which is typically unusual. He had a great perspective on that, talked about God working good for his children in the midst of of his firing. He's now an assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder and lost his wife last week uh, to a car accident. Um, I believe someone veered off into the center lane and hit her head on um, and killed her. His kids, I think, were in the car but were okay, but she was killed 
And um, this is the eulogy that he gave about his wife at her funeral. And I think it's real appropriate for us to reflect upon because I can stand up here and we can talk about God's promises. We can talk about clinging to God's promises when we go through difficult times. We can hypothetically talk about what would it look like if God took some of the most precious things from us. Would we hang on to the promises that he's given us? This is a real life scenario of a brother in Christ who had something taken away from him. And he demonstrates the fact that he's clinging to God's promises to get him through that. So I wanted to share it with you today. We can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us. And that's what my wife and that's what I try to, um, however badly, (laughs) exhibit on a daily basis. But God does love us. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins. And I, for one, know that I'm not the man that you guys see every day. And only God could cover that. He loved me so much that he gave me a wife that loved every part of me. And she fit me perfectly. And I know different players that I've had over the years probably got tired of me talking about my wife. But I used to always think to myself, like, who else was I going to talk about? So (laughs) that never bothered me. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All of this will work out. As hard as this is for me and my family and for you, this will work out. I know this because I've seen this in my life. See, back in 1990, at the University of Notre Dame, I had a doctor look me in the face and say, you're going to die if you keep playing basketball. And I had testing done, test after test, shipping me all over the place to try to figure out a way for me to play. And it didn't work out. And I kept that from Ingrid. She knew I was having some tests done, but she didn't know the severity of the situation. So my career was over at the age of 18. And... We had a press conference, and I left the press conference um, by myself, and I went to her dorm room, and I told her what happened. And the very next word out of her mouth, words out of her mouth, after we um, probably cried a little bit, she said, honey, Jesus can heal your heart. And I'm evidence that God can work it out. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times, and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family. 
which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office, uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you. I had the chance to, to read and watch that. I found it super encouraging because of the fact that <clears throat> there's really no way to, I don't think there's any way to explain that type of perspective unless you're talking about it being a, a supernatural thing going on inside of him for him to, um, to lose somebody so tragically without any type of preparation or, or plan for that and to, to respond in such a way. And you know, at that type of a funeral, there's going to be plenty of people that don't know Christ you know, with his connections in the NBA, former players that he's had and um, current people that he's working with. So just a really cool way for him to demonstrate a lot of the things that we've been talking about. We, you know, we talked about Abraham's testing, the fact that he had to be willing to surrender what was most precious to him. We also talked about being able to die in such a way that we're pointing people to the hope that is in us um, as we looked at both of Sarah uh, and Abraham's death. And so um, I thought that tied in well with what we've been talking about the last several weeks. So um, about six weeks ago, we talked about, let's see if I can get this in a good position, uh, Abraham's test. And the summary sentence for that week is that God's promises are designed to empower the believer with obedient faith during times of trial, showing one's faith to be genuine. And I think that video is a perfect picture of that truth, that 
his understanding of God's promises, his understanding of God's design to work things for the good of his children is what's carrying him and his family through that trial. And he's obviously demonstrating uh, in such an awesome way to his kids that he believes the promises of God. He's showing his faith to be genuine in how he's handling this whole process. Um, we talked about Abraham being asked to give up something um, and the fact that he believed God's promises it carried him through that trial. Um, it carried him through that journey to take Isaac to that place to offer him as a sacrifice. All along the way, he's clinging to promises that, if necessary, God's going to raise Isaac from the dead. That Isaac is the promised child. God is going to provide a sacrifice. He doesn't know how. He's not asking for explanations. Some of the things that we uh, talked about that week, we should expect tests from God. It's how he grows our faith. Um, as believers, we see in Scripture that God wants to grow our faith. He does that most effectively through bringing us through difficult times. So this individual, Monty Williams, his faith will be stretched and he will grow in new ways because of this loss. Um, we should expect similar trials and tests in our own life. It's how God grows us. We should strive for immediate obedience in the midst of those trials. Remember we talked about Abraham being told to sacrifice Isaac and him immediately getting up the next morning early and making preparations to do so. Remember, we even highlighted the fact that he chopped wood at his home and carried the wood with him just in case there wasn't wood where God took him to offer the sacrifice. That would have been an easy way out for us. We show up, we're ready to do it, but God, we can't find any wood. We talked about how Abraham was very intentional to do all the preparations before he left so that he had everything he needed to offer his son as a sacrifice. Immediate obedience. I think uh, this individual showing that even just by standing up immediately and talking about these promises. He's demonstrating obedience. He's clinging to God's promises. It's what's carrying his family through this trial that they're going through. Uh, we talked about focusing on promises and not explanations. Um, and Monty Williams even mentioned that in the video. We want answers to the whys. You know, why take his wife? Why uh, take an individual who from all accounts and purposes that he's sharing, was, a, was a, an amazing woman who was pointing other people to Christ. Why take her home? And he referenced the fact that we don't always get answers to our questions, and we don't see Abraham asking God questions when he asks him to give up Isaac. We don't see a lot of why, why, why. We see him immediately obeying. We see him clinging to promises versus looking for explanations, and we need to do the same thing when we're put into difficult situations. Uh, we depend upon God's provision. Um, Abraham knew God was going to come through in some way. Monty Williams is talking about the same thing. This is going to turn out for good. You know, he doesn't know how he's not even pretending to know how he's not even trying to come up with ways that God's going to turn this for good. He's just ultimately convinced because of God's promises that it will turn out for good. He's being able to look back into his life on a situation that probably was one of the most serious situations in his life up to that point. Now he's lost his wife, but he refers back to his playing career and he can see how God used that for good. And so he's reverting back to past faithfulness of God in his life. He's using that to spring him forward in a current trial that he's been faithful to me in the past. He's going to continue to be faithful to me in the future. Our application from that week, what plans do you have for this year to ensure your understanding of God's promises will continue to increase in preparation for the trials that you will face? Ben and I were talking yesterday at Logan's birthday party about this individual in this video, and he made the comment, he said, that's not an individual that's in the Bible every now and then. Like, you don't have that type of immediate response to a trial like that 
if you're just kind of in and out of church, in and out of God's word, just kind of playing the game sometimes. This is a guy who's obviously entrenched in his relationship with Christ. It's an individual who is spending regular time in God's word. It's somebody who is feasting on God's promises. It's the only way that he can respond this quickly to such a tragedy in his life. Um, And so I had challenged you because of when we were talking about this, it was at the very beginning of January, to make preparations and plans this year to spend a renewed time in God's word, to have a plan, uh, not only when you're going to do it, but where you're going to go to study. Uh, books that you're going to study? Are you going to have a reading plan? What's that look like for you this year? How are you going to take God's truth, and he's communicated that through his word, and get it into your mind so that it can then filter down to your heart? Um, So I would remind you of that again, um, that you've got to be in God's word if you're going to respond in the way that Abraham did, if you're going to respond in the way that this basketball coach does to his trial. To cling to God's promises, we have to be uh, constantly reminding ourselves of those promises so that we can draw upon them in time of need. Uh, the next week we talked about God uh, affirming Abraham for his obedience in the midst of that trial. And we said that while God's promises empower the believer to obedience, the believer's obedience invokes God's active favor and blessing. Okay, so God responds to the obedience of Abraham in his trial. Uh, We said that our level of obedience correlates with our level of belief. Abraham succeeds through his trial because he has such a great belief in God's promises. We also talked about how our proper love for things makes us eligible to receive more things. Remember, God says, I want you to give me the most precious thing to you, Abraham. I want you to give that to me. And so Abraham shows a willingness to give Isaac up. God says, I've provided an animal. Don't kill your son. On top of that, though, I now understand, I now see, everybody else sees that you are not clinging too too strongly to the things of this world. It now allows me to give you more things to use. Um, And so we see God bestowing upon Abraham blessing uh, in response to the fact that Abraham is demonstrating that he's in love with God and not the things that he gets from God. Um, It also reminds us that there's always an afterward when it comes to God's test. We see God... Uh, working good through this situation for Abraham. And there's always more going on than we don't always see. Um, And we notice that as well at the end of that passage when we hear about uh, Rebecca and what's going on with Abraham's family back home and how God, in the midst of this trial with Isaac, um, is also grooming Isaac's future wife. And so in the midst of our trial, we can always take comfort that God's not just working here. He's working with a big plan overall things that we don't always see. Our application from that week, all who put their hope in the promises of God can rest in obedience to him, knowing they will never be disappointed. That's such an encouraging thing that when we go through trials and difficulties, when we lose things that are precious to us potentially, we can be comforted knowing that by being obedient through those trials, we're not going to be disappointed, that God's not going to disappoint us in bringing us through trials and difficulties. That led us to um, a couple of weeks ago talking about the death of Sarah um, and her burial. And we said the time of death, when the natural inclination is to mourn as the world mourns, should be the time of our greatest demonstration of faith. For the recipient of God's promises has a hope beyond the grave. And I love that he didn't just focus on his wife and who she was in in a past tense type of, of thinking. That when when Monty's talking about his wife, he's talking about where she's at now, 
that he hasn't lost her, that he knows exactly where she's at, and that she's in a place where we are all headed unless Christ returns. Um, to me, this has got to be his greatest demonstration of faith. It doesn't matter how many devotionals he's led with his NBA teams. It doesn't matter how many times he's had one-on-one conversations over dinner. This, to me, has got to be his greatest demonstration of faith. This is when all the players, all the coaches, all the fans that have heard that he's a Christian now get to see that his faith is absolutely genuine. It doesn't matter how many little devotionals he's written. It doesn't matter how many emails of encouragement he's sent out. This is the greatest demonstration of his faith. For his wife, who he obviously loved deeply, has been ripped away from him. And for him to stand strong, stand firm, and to rest in the promises of God. When the temptation would easily be to mourn and to weep in a way where there's no hope. Now I guarantee you he is mourning and weeping and grieving over the loss of his wife. Just as Abraham did. Remember Abraham we talked about. He grieved over the loss of Sarah. But then he picked himself up. He made funeral arrangements and did it in such a way to where it pointed to the hope that he had. Remember, he doesn't take her home and bury her with his family or her family. He says, I'm going to buy a place here in the promised land because God has given us this land. And so all the planning that takes place shows that Abraham was in a right mind of thinking. That he was thinking about the future hope, the future glory and all that preparation. And so he's using her death to point others to the hope that he has. Um, and so I challenged you that week um, that we were we are going to suffer loss. So we talk a lot about God's promises and God's goodness that doesn't exempt us from loss. And we even talked about the fact that there'll come a point, uh, Lord willing, and if the Lord tarries, this church continues to move forward. There will be times where we experience tragic loss here in this church. That it'll move beyond someone losing a parent or a grandparent that none of us have met, but we try to stand by you because you're grieving and weeping over it. There will, there will come a point in time where we are grieving as a church, um, that, that we experience loss here. And so we will continue to talk about God's promises, but it doesn't exempt us from loss. Um, Abraham, God's chosen one to, to bring a nation into, into being that would be a light to the Gentiles. That individual experienced loss, um, loss that he mourned over. And so we, we are reminded that we're not exempt from that type of loss either. Um, we demonstrate faith, though, by reconciling death with promises that extend beyond this life. And so as a Christian, we are able to face death and to face it in such a way where we point people to the promises that we believe extend beyond this life. In death, we should declare our hope. Um, we talk specifically about just even how we handle the body and how we bury a body, that it means something. That when we bury someone's body, that it points others to the hope that we have that that body will be resurrected. And so my application thought from that week was in preparation for your own death, which I know for a lot of us seems way down the road. How will you plan to point others to the eternal hope you possess through the way you are buried? Um, And so um, I think that's an appropriate tie-in with um, the video. Let me see if I can get it back up there for us. So in preparation for your own death, how will you plan to point others to the eternal hope you possess through the way that you're buried? We then saw um, our greatest joy in approaching death. And so while we were talking about death, not wanting to, uh, to use it in a way that would discourage us about our life here ending. But per Jesus, Jesus instructing his disciples, one of our greatest joys should be the security we experience in knowing that our names are written in heaven which assures our future entrance into the city of God, 
where we can experience eternal life with him. That's the joy that the believer possesses is that when death happens, death is not the end. And we are secure to enter into the presence of God because of our belief and faith in him. Monty Williams has that with his wife. My desire is that we have that as a church for those of us that are believers, that we rest in the fact that our names are written in heaven according to Jesus. And that name written in heaven gives us entrance into the kingdom of God with him uh, for eternity. We said that while there's a lot of mystery surrounding the book of life and we went through every passage that we could really identify talking about the book of life that week, we said there's still a lot of mystery surrounding it that the clarifying text uh, really combined with other passages of Scripture heavily encourages a doctrine of eternal security that we can rest knowing that, um, that when we're saved, that we are saved by grace, we're saved by Christ's work, and we can find a lot of hope and encouragement in that. We then transitioned into Abraham looking for um, a wife for Isaac. Abraham seems to start thinking about his own death and starts to anticipate what that is going to look like. And so he starts making preparations and plans to make sure that his son is taken care of and that God's promises continue to move forward with his offspring. And we saw that play out with Abraham sending his servant uh, back to their home to find a suitable mate for Isaac. And in that story, we saw that believers can trust in the Lord's promises to give them guidance and success as they act responsibly in obedience to his revealed will. So we talked a lot about knowing what God has called us to do in Scripture, being faithful to do that, and then when we encounter situations where we don't know what to do, we have job choices placed before us. Do we take this job or this job? Do we buy this house or this house? That we can expect God to lead us into his will based on the fact that we're being obedient to what he's already told us to do. Um, And then we even talked about the fact that I think we are permitted to pray that God's providence will guide us Not necessarily praying that God would act miraculously out of a normal pattern of events. So you'll remember in this story, it's different than Gideon praying that he would put a fleece out and everything else would be wet and his fleece would not be wet. That takes a miraculous act of God for that to happen. Or vice versa, he prays that the fleece will be wet and that everything else will be dry. We remember that the the servant prayed that, a woman would come and that the woman would ask if she could give him water and also water the camels. Not a miraculous thing. That's, that's, that's something that naturally could very well happen, but a unique thing because it would reveal the character of the woman. The servant's thinking, how am I supposed to find the right girl for my master's son? How do I, how do I know if she's a, uh, a woman of character based on one initial meeting. And so he comes up with something that would demonstrate her desire to serve and to care for others. And so he prays specifically that God would reveal her to him in that way. And God does. And so I think it does give us confidence that we can pray in similar ways. But I remember I I stressed to you overall, I think that story helps us to see how God normally functions with people. Right. Remember, God doesn't speak or actively do anything in that passage according to the narrative. Now, God is at work in everything that's taking place in that story, just like he is in our lives today. We don't necessarily have God actively speaking and revealing what he's doing, but we know that God is actively working around us. Same case with this chapter in this story. God works everything so that Isaac and Rebecca come together. He orchestrates all of the events to ensure that happens. He softens the hearts of her family members to release her to go back. Um, So God's at work in all of those events, even though we don't specifically see him 
coming down from heaven and interacting with anybody in the story. Um, And so I think that gives us a regular pattern for what we see in the New Testament today. And that should provide hope and encouragement for us that God guides us in similar ways. Um, Some things we stressed that week, God worked through normal events of life to accomplish his will. Uh, We remain in God's will by desiring his will, praying for his will, and obeying his will while remaining alert to what he is doing around us. We said that God's providence does not remove a man's responsibility. So we don't just think that because God works everything for good, that that means we just sit back and watch that the servant had a responsibility to go back to the land. He had a responsibility to go with Rebecca to her parents. Uh, He had a responsibility to communicate the desires for her to come back. So he had responsibility. He had to carry through with that all the while trusting that God was working the events out for his plan. We ought always to strive to do maximum good to others because we never know who is watching. I told you that week that part of the reason that I made it through college debt-free is because of the fact that I worked hard one night at a block party where my boss happened to watch that I was picking up trash when everybody else stopped. Brought me into his office, offered me a scholarship that paid for my school the rest of the way through. Huge blessing to our family. It was a night where I just determined I'm going to do what I've been told to do. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing big and, and huge and, and, and on grand display. I was told to pick up trash until I was told to stop. Um, and I was the only one that did it that way and was rewarded accordingly. My challenge to you that week um, when we talked about this was that we have a responsibility to do maximum good to other people. We never know who's watching. But what we do know is that God is always watching. So even if no one else is watching, we have a responsibility to demonstrate character in the way that we serve other people. I'm realizing that at times other people are watching to see our character on display. And then um, last week we talked about Abraham's death and we talked about dying satisfied. We said a believer dies satisfied in the promises of God when he has lived a life of faith that is demonstrated by works while intentionally seeking to pass his faith on to the next generation. To ensure that God's plan will continue in his absence. A lot of things going on there. Abraham died satisfied. And we see that. That he died in his old age. He died at peace. Just as God had promised that he would. But he dies satisfied because he's lived a life of faith. That was demonstrated by work. So as Abraham looks back on his life. He can see uh, evidence of God's grace in his life. But he can also refer back to faithful responses. Where he trusted God. Um, He demonstrated his faith by his works, James talks about, while intentionally seeking to pass his faith on to the next generation. Um, So Abraham didn't just hold on to his faith. He was very diligent to teach it to others. We even said back when Abraham and Isaac are being tested that Isaac, uh, at the age that he was at, Abraham would have not have been able to force him upon the altar, would not have been physically able to lift him upon the altar, that Isaac was most likely in his 20s or 30s. Abraham was of old age that there was clear faith on Isaac's part to even get on the altar as well. Um, That Abraham had obviously instilled in his son a trust in God's goodness that Isaac willingly placed himself upon the altar. Um, And so Abraham is an example to us of what it looks like to pass our faith on to the next generation. Because God's plans are going to continue without us. When we're dead and gone and we're with him, God's plans continue here on this earth. I mean, that's a hope and encouragement that as great as Abraham was, as great of a hero of the faith as he is, God has been doing many, many great things since Abraham vacated this earth. 
Um, and so God's plans are not tied to just one individual. We said Abraham's death uh, was a confirmation of God's promises. And so I tried to highlight for you, um, as, as Moses gives us a detailed account of, of Abraham's death, that he highlights God's promises being kept. We're told once again that Abraham had numerous offspring, that his offspring were, were developing nations of their own, um, that he was a father of many nations through Ishmael's descendants. It wasn't just the nation of Israel that God had promised to him. He had promised that he would be a father of many nations. Moses highlights the fact that Ishmael's offspring are developing nations. Um, we even talked about Ishmael being blessed. Uh, God had promised that, and God confirms that at the death of Abraham talks about Ishmael uh, having 12 sons. They're now 12 rulers, fulfillment of God's promises. Um, Moses is very clear to tell us that Moses or that Abraham died at an old age in peace. That was something that God directly promised Abraham. That while he would not inherit the land, that it would be 400 plus years later when finally Israel would come back and assume uh, presence in the land, that Abraham would die in a good old age at peace and Moses uses the same language there to show us that that was fulfilled. Um, and then ultimately we saw God continue to use Isaac um, with his plans moving forward. We also went back and kind of looked at Abraham's life as a whole. We talked about Abraham being a man of faith, a man who believed God, but also a man who worked, who demonstrated his faith through his trust. And we saw different situations where he did that. Abraham was a man of faithfulness. Um, his faith endured to the very end. And so the conclusion that I left you with last week, by looking to Abraham, we understand better what it means to find salvation in Christ. By looking to Abraham, we understand better what it means to find salvation in Christ. So we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, the truth uh, of, of what was communicated to Abraham how Abraham clung to that truth, clung to those promises. It carried him through his life. Uh, there's no wavering in his faith, right? Romans tells us that he continued to hold fast to the promises of God to the very end. God uh, blesses him because of that. God responds to that obedience um, and commends him for that. He's commemorated in the New Testament for being a man of faith. He serves as our great example. Um, and so that kind of wraps up our discussion on Abraham, but I wanted to use today as a means to recap some of those things that happened at the end of his life, his big test. Um, and it serves as a reminder to us, is there anything that we're holding on to tightly? If God were to suddenly and tragically take something from us this week, would we be able to respond similarly to the, to the way that we see this basketball coach respond? Would we be able to continue to point to God's promises and hold on to those promises? Or would we be wavering in our faith? Which brings us to what I want us to discuss at our C groups this week. So um, once a month, for those that are visiting, once a month we have our small group gatherings here at Sovereign Hope. We do that in the homes of people of our church. Um, and we discuss typically a passage of scripture um, and a couple of questions to kind of go along with that. And so we use it as a way to, to talk about other passages of scripture. Because right now we've been in the book of Genesis for um, about a year and a half. We're about halfway through the book. And so... We use our small groups to discuss other passages of Scripture. Um, and so we're going to do that again this month. Um, and we're going to tie it into what we've been talking about here with Abraham, a man who believed God, who held fast to that belief, held fast to that truth, didn't waver, and kept moving forward. What do we do, though, with someone who starts to wander in their faith? James 5, 19 through 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, 
Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, so James is right after talking about someone who is sick spiritually and needing the prayers of the elders to find healing and victory over sin. He now brings this into play. This isn't just an elder task. Uh, He talks about brothers in the church potentially wandering from the truth. The responsibility for someone to go get them and to bring them back. And then the fruit of doing that. Um, When someone does that, they bring someone back from wandering. They save their soul from death. They cover a multitude of sins. So I want you to spend some time this week reading this passage, studying this passage, meditating upon this passage, uh, thinking through responsibilities that you have in regards to this passage, but specifically These three questions we're going to discuss at our C groups on Wednesday. What does it look like for one to wander from the truth? What does that, what does that mean for somebody to wander from the truth? James talks about my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, what does it look like for one to wander from the truth? If somebody's supposed to bring that person back, then it means that we ought to know when we need to bring somebody back. So what does it look like? What does that mean for someone to wander from? from the truth. Number two, who should be the one to bring a wanderer back? Whose responsibility is that to do such a thing? And then number three, how do we go about bringing a wanderer back? Um, If we determine what it looks like to wander, and then we determine who's supposed to bring the wanderer back, what process or what activities or what things does that mean that we're responsible to do in order to bring someone back? So we're going to talk about those three elements um, this Wednesday night. I'm going to post these on the city, so um, don't worry about having to keep up with these. I'm going to post these so that you can reflect upon them um, leading up to Wednesday. If you're not a part of a C group, um, all of our members have been assigned C groups, but if you've been visiting and you're not a part of a C group, don't know where to go, please see me today before you leave if you'd like to come and visit. It's real informal. We have dinner um, at the person's house, and then we spend some time talking about this topic this week, and then we'll spend some time in prayer together. Um, We'd love to have you join us at six o'clock on a Wednesday night. We do it once a month um, so that it doesn't completely overtake your schedule. Um, And then it's also done infrequently enough to where I think it builds anticipation each month, each month that we have our C groups coming up. So we'd love to have you be a part of it this Wednesday night and help us discuss uh, some of these elements to this passage um, together. All right, then if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn once again to 1 Corinthians. As we turn our attention now to partaking the Lord's Supper together, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you're turning there, we, uh, for our man up breakfast this past Tuesday night, this past Tuesday morning, we did a fun activity where we, uh, basically I pulled, there's a, a church in Michigan, um, a church that I, that I respect a lot, they, um, They bring their deacons and their elders through a training class. And then as part of the ending of that class, they do a a test or an assessment that has several different parts to it. But one of the parts is a a written test that involves basic Bible knowledge about all aspects of Scripture. And one of the elements was, um, do you know what's being talked about in John chapter 15? Um, And so it gave like several different passages and chapters and so we had to identify what the topic was and so it was interesting to see just the own knowledge of our men in our church as we kind of went around and took turns answering some of the different questions but 
it kind of stood out to me because 1 Corinthians 11 is, is a passage that um, you ought to remember deals with the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 15 deals with the resurrection of Christ um, heavily. 1 Corinthians 11 um, is our instruction regarding the Lord's Supper. In verse 17 of chapter 11, it says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul highlights the fact that this church had abused the Lord's Supper. They were using it in a way to satisfy themselves when it was ultimately meant to be a picture of unity, that each one was participating in Christ in the same way. That while they came from different backgrounds and different histories, that they had come together and were being unified through the work of Jesus Christ. And in verse 27, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Um, as we enter into this time, I want to remind you of the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Um, here at Sovereign Hope Church, we uh, we believe that the, the Lord's Supper has been given to us as a uh, a reminder. Um, the word remembrance here is used multiple times as Paul talks about the purpose of the Lord's Supper, um, that Christ gave it to us as a point of remembrance, that it's an opportunity to pause and reflect and to remind ourselves of the goodness of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, that Christ has been sent to be our perfect lamb. Um, the lamb that was provided for Abraham and Isaac simply pointed to the future lamb that would come, that would put an end to all animal sacrifices. And so Christ is that sufficient sacrifice for us. He is the atoning work. Um, he satisfies God's wrath um, that we deserve for our sins. And so our sins are removed because of Jesus's work. The encouragement here is to examine ourselves uh, to make sure that we're in the faith and to make sure that we're handling our faith appropriately. We do believe here at Sovereign Hope that believers should be partaking of the Lord's Supper, um, that this is not um, something that an unbeliever should participate in. And so we invite everyone here to participate that is a believer, whether you're a member of our church or not. You're invited to participate in the Lord's Supper with us today. We try to do it in such a way that demonstrates the unity uh, that was supposed to be pictured here in this church. And so we have one cup in the back with juice in it. We've got uh, one piece of bread or a couple pieces in case we run out. But we've got the picture there that we are tearing from the same body of Christ. Um, we are dipping into the blood of Jesus, both those uh, being pictured through the grape juice and through the bread, um, his body and his blood um, that was given for us. And so we try to use everything that we do with our Lord's Supper here at this church as a picture of what we see taking place in the way that Jesus revealed it. And so we invite you to participate. We invite you to do so in a way that 
that shows unity. This is obviously not a means for us to satisfy our hunger. Um, that's why we have the meal before this, to, uh, to satisfy the food desires that we have. This is the spiritual desires that we have to demonstrate to each other that we are still holding fast to Jesus. Um, and there is that call to examine ourselves, to make sure that we have not allowed sin to enter into our life in such a way that it has captivated our hearts. So this is not um, an examination that says, if you committed sins this week, you are not worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, instead, this is an opportunity for us to confess sins and to say, I still want Jesus, uh, that Jesus is still the most important thing to me. Um, it's, a, it's a demonstration that we have not wandered from the faith and that we do not need to be brought back as James talks about, that we are in right relationship with Christ, not just from a salvation standpoint, but from a fellowship standpoint. And so we invite you to partake today um, as a, uh, a sign of unity, as a sign of encouragement to each other, um, that we are believers and that we are following faithfully and we desire to follow faithfully until Jesus Christ returns. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a time to reflect um, and to examine, um, to make sure that, that you have an opportunity to spend some time um, worshiping um, and reflecting and meditating upon these truths to use this as a means of remembrance as well, um, to have you have that opportunity individually to do so. Tyson's going to come and lead us in a time of worship to close out our service. You're invited to partake after I'm done praying at any point um, when you feel that um, that it's appropriate for you to partake. Um, and so we invite you uh, to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we want to uh, thank you so much um, for the grace that you've demonstrated in our life. Uh, Father, we know we are not deserving of the blessings that you have given to us. We are not deserving of the good intent that you have promised to us. Um, we thank you for the good gifts that we are in possession of today. Uh, we thank you for uh, the spouses that you have blessed us with. We thank you for the children that you have blessed us with. Um, but Father, we also know that um, those things can be taken from us at any point. Um, and that it should not decrease our love for you. We thank you for the jobs that you've blessed us with and the homes and the means of transportation. But, Father, we realize those are not uh, tokens that we are to hold on to as, as um, signs that you are being good to us because we recognize today that there are believers around the world that do not possess those things and that you are still good to them. So, Father, we, we thank you uh, for what you have given to us. Um, but in no way do we demand those things or expect those things or uh, anticipate that those things should always continue in our life. We're thankful that because of your Holy Spirit, you can take things from us and we can still rest in your goodness. Um, and Father, I pray that the things that we've discussed today, the, the testimony that we've heard today would, would spur us on in our own faith and our own trust in you. Um, Father, I pray that we would find encouragement in seeing other people cling to your promises as you've called us to do as well. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, the opportunity to remember uh, Jesus and to remember what he has done for us. Father, I thank you that in partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning, we are demonstrating a salvation that you have given to us, that you have saved us from our sins, that blood was shed on our behalf, um, that Christ came as the perfect lamb. Uh, to stand in our place, to absorb your wrath so that we could be made righteous. Um, Father, we thank you that we have this hope uh, that one day we will be with you forever. I mean, Lord, we anticipate that and we look forward to that. Father, we anxiously await the return of Jesus. Father, I pray that as we partake this morning, that it would be a, an opportunity as well to examine ourselves, to 
to look into our hearts to make sure that uh, there has not been a, um, a, a lure towards sin that we have been uh, captured with. Uh, Father, I pray that if there are sins that need to be confessed, that today, right now, would be that opportunity that we would seize to confess those things to you, to turn our hearts back to you, that if we are um, demonstrating a, a wandering spirit, um, as we know that we're prone to do at times, God, that you would rescue us back even right now before someone would have to come and rescue us back. We pray that we could use today right now as a means of confession uh, of any sins that we are tolerating in our life, um, that we would not partake of your blood while holding on to sin with our other hand. Um, so, God, I pray that we would be able to, uh, through your power, through your spirit, release anything that we've been holding on to um, and once again be renewed in our faith towards you. We praise you and thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.